Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and my guest today is Amy Sheridan. Amy is super interesting. She's done a lot of stuff in the world of sports, and we get to talk about all of it. She is a content strategist, and she was a professor of sports and entertainment marketing at St. Joe's, as well as in other couple schools that we get to talk about a little bit. But she is, it's very interesting. Her story is incredible, how she kind of rose through the ranks, but at the same time, got to hop around and learn all these different opportunities and aspects in the world of marketing. So she gets to talk about all that. We get to talk about content creation and podcasts, what obviously one of my favorite things. So it's a great, great conversation, and I hope you enjoy the one we have, Amy Sheridan. Yes. Today, my special guest, Amy Sheridan, content strategist and professor of sports and entertainment marketing at St. Joe's University down in Philadelphia. Amy, thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. I promise you that. So Amy, the first question, and as you said, you listened to a couple of these episodes, you know the first question. Why do you love sports so much? Yes, I did listen to a couple beforehand, and I'm so glad I did. Um, I love sports. Why do I love it? It's about the people, you know, across the industry. It's about the people and in sports as an athlete, as a coach, as a fan, you know, for me, it's about the people, right? It's about the friendships. It's about the camaraderie of being on a team. And so I think, why do I love sports? Well, I love it from the perspective of being an athlete. So, you know, growing up, I was an athlete. Soccer is and is and was my sport, my passion. And so I competed in that through my youth, through college, um, at Penn State. And, you know, it occurred to me at a certain point that I could probably try to make it into a career. And uh, I was able to do that. So I was lucky enough to do that. And so but on both sides of the equation, for me, sports was about that camaraderie, that team environment. Um, and that's what I love so much about being in the business of sports is that the people that you're surrounded with, in most cases, they share that love for working as part of a team. And, uh, you know, I think that's what it boils down to me or boils down to for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you make a bunch of great points. I mean, the, 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 the community aspect, the people aspect of being on the team the people aspect of being fans of a team um, within the business. I mean, there's just so many different opportunities to engage with people and it's all, I mean, fans short for fanatic, right? Like we're all crazy about this stuff too. So it makes it even more enjoyable when we can all engage together and really have that camaraderie. I think that's a word you use within yes. something that we all can, we all can go nuts over. Absolutely. And I think part of, you know, I, I tell this to people all the time and part of being a parent now Um, not only do you get to coach, right? But I think, you know, I say to my my husband and my friends, you know, what I really miss is that camaraderie about, you know, being on my own team. I miss my friends, you know, from the teams that I grew up playing on. And I wish that I could duplicate that now. And I think 
the beauty of the sports business is that you, you kind of can, you know, um, in certain ways kind of rally around your teams and, you know, you know, the stuff that's coming out of your business. So um, it continues. Yeah. yeah. And a couple of points on that specifically. I mean, one is most of the people that work in sports played sports, right? So they kind of all, you got, you know, we all at this point understand what that team is like and, and how to almost obviously not replicate it to the point of, you know, the locker room, but replicate it to the point of camaraderie of friendship of relationships and how to work together and understanding other personalities. And then the other point to that is with many athletes, I mean, you talk to pretty much any of them, the thing that they miss the most just outside of playing their sport is the team is being in that locker room and spending time with their friends. Yeah. Yeah. Being on the field, being on the bench, you know, going on trips, being on the bus. I mean, those are some of the best memories. And I think today, most of the friends that I still have from my youth and, you know, my young adulthood are those teammates. Right. And uh, that bond, uh, you know, really, really stands the test of time. I love it. That is fantastic. And let's let's talk about your career a little bit. Obviously, as I said before, you're currently a content strategist, and I'm excited to see kind of all the uh, the the accumulation of these skills over the years through some yes. of these jobs. Um, I have written down here the NHL. You worked for Saatchi and Saatchi, and anyone that doesn't know Saatchi and Saatchi, quick Google search, you'll figure that out. And specifically, you worked on Toyota, which I think will again lead to the sports aspect. Comcast and NBC Sports. I mean you have a just a murderer's row of some incredible <laughs> jobs here along the way. I guess let's let's start at the beginning. Um, sure. At least the first sports job I saw was with the NHL. I mean, first off, how do you land that job? Yeah, <laughs> so that's a funny story. Um, you know, not many people know uh, that, you know, at Penn State, I actually majored in science. So I was in the labs on campus. I was up at 8 a.m. dissecting things. And at a certain point, it occurred to me, you know, man, this is cool stuff, but, you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this. So, so I did, you know, an internship. I worked at a pharmaceutical company. I worked in a lab and I was like, you know, I got to find my people. And, you know, I found my people over in the marketing department and I'm like, all right, I got to make a change. So long story short, I graduated from Penn State. I started working for a pharmaceutical ad, ad agency up in New York City great advertising. And I became determined to turn this into a career in sports. I I became determined that there was a way and, um, you know, uh, luck really here kind of was part of the equation for me. The NHL went on lockout, if you recall, I believe 0405. Um, And an unfortunate situation for many people became an opportunity for me um, to make my entrance into the business of sports. Um, So I was hired off of a lockout um, to run the NHL auction platform, which is sort of the eBay for NHL memorabilia, game-used, game-worn, sweaty jerseys, sometimes bloodstained. Those are worth more. I was going to say, people want those even more, right? (laughs) Those are worth more. Uh, So I learned so much, right? I never thought I would land in this position, but I was lucky enough that the people who hired me, you know, they liked a couple things in my resume. They liked the agency experience. They didn't care that it was pharma, right? They liked the agency experience. So I always tell my students this, you can break into sports. You might break in through agency. You might not be working on sports right away. You might be working on pharma, 
right? You might be working on CPG, but you know, if you, if you work hard, um, you know, you can, you can transfer those skills, right? And, and, and so hiring managers, they like that agency um, element um, on a resume a lot of times. And that's what happened for me. So they liked that. And they also liked the fact that in college, I had been a runner for ABC sports um, football. I actually was a runner for one single game um, <laughs> down at UVA. And of course I put it on my resume and it just so happened that the gentleman who ran the NHL digital department at the time, his name was Keith Ritter. Um, he had worked for ABC for 20 years. And so he was like, Oh, you work for ABC. And I said, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and I ended up, uh, you know, uh, getting a, an opportunity to come in and uh, like I said, work on the auction business and learn a ton about the value of, uh, you know, memorabilia and how to basically grow a small business from within a larger business. Um, so um, that was really my start in sort of formal business mm -hmm. development, right? Within the sports, within the sports business. And I think that is fantastic. I, I love the point that you make that you can, you know, don't expect, I mean, maybe not don't expect, but don't be dead set on getting that first job in sports because sometimes yeah. it's actually better not to weirdly enough, as you said, you came from the agency world. So if anyone knows anything about the agency world, you're not working with one company. You're working with a bunch of companies. Now, maybe you only have two or three and it depends on where you are, but the, uh, the, the fast paced nature of it, the opportunity to kind of switch gears and shift and do what you need to do. A lot of people then go from agency to in-house and say, wow, this is so slow. I can't wait to make this significantly faster. And it's always interesting yeah. to kind of see that aspect. And as you said, you know, kind of breaking in through an agency, you, you knew you wanted to do marketing in some way, shape or form all right, maybe the job wasn't readily available with the NHL, but as you said, coming off that lockout, having that, you know, that one time you're a runner for ABC, yeah. but hey, you yeah. still did it, right? You're not lying. Yeah. Um, you know, having that on there and being able to connect with the people involved, I think are really cool. And as you said, take it as an opportunity. Um, you know, that's definitely something we're going to talk about towards the end, obviously, with everything that's going on in the world. How can we make this an opportunity? So we'll get there. But I do think uh, that that's a great way to kind of start your sports career is again, not even in sports. I think that's like one of the yeah. most important things we can take away from this conversation. Absolutely. Don't get hung up on that. You know, you'll find your time, you'll find your way. in. I think um, the number one most important thing is to get experience under your belt. But during that time that you're getting that experience, you need to develop trust and a reputation with the people that are around you, because those are going to be your cheerleaders until you're, you know, higher enough up on the food chain to stand on your own, right? Mm -hmm. 100%, 100%. And then you can actually lift some other people up, right? That food chain. You can lift them up the ladder too. So yeah. with, uh, with working at the NHL, as you said, you kind of learned how to run a small business essentially, because it was kind of like, what was it like a, like an offshoot essentially? Was it kind of like you guys were just left alone? Like, Hey, just, just sell a bunch of stuff over here. So it was a little bit like I got to run my own business within the uh, greater e-commerce department, which at the time I think was like three people, right? So the main, well, yeah, the main, this is, what year this is, is this? the league, right? So this is the league office, right? But this so, is like 2005, right? Yes. And yeah, um, so, but I mean, it's, I could go into like great detail on how they run the league commerce business and I'll spare you those details, but at the league office, about three people sort of tasked with running what was then shop.nhl.com 
And the auction was sort of, like you said, like an offshoot of that. And um, it was nice. I was the only one uh, sort of in charge of that business. And, you know, we made a couple million dollars a year, right? Um, but we were always looking for new ways to, uh, you know, sell new products. And so it, there was room for innovation. And um, I absolutely loved that role. Uh, but, you know, the main focus was the shop, which, you know, was the, the larger revenue stream there. Um, and, uh, but, you know, wonderful people. I had wonderful leaders, I have to mention, you know, a couple people that stuck with me over the years. Um, Brian Fitzgerald, who's at the NFL, now Josh Feinstein, um, was one of, uh, you know, the great mentors of my sports business career. Uh, and he taught me so much about, you know, running that sort of e-commerce business at that time. That is awesome. And yeah, it's such a, especially back in 2005, that's why I wanted to make that point is everything was a little bit, little bit different uh, than, you know, 2020. No smartphones, no smartphones. Yep. Uh, people were like, oh my gosh, I'm not putting my credit card out on the internet. Yeah, right. I am not going to buy a hat with my phone, right? It wasn't even possible. We all had, if you remember the Razor phones, we all had the, mm -hmm. I think it was the Motorola Razor phones. Uh, but yeah, things were a lot different, but it, it was a wonderful time because it was really that sort of internet boom, that e-commerce boom and just getting in on the ground floor there. Yeah, that had, that had to have been so cool. Um, just being able to, as you said, be on the ground floor and really see that kind of grow up over the years, especially being inside it for, for a few years while it's happening. And now you can look at it and just be like, yeah, I mean, you maybe didn't see exactly how it was coming back then. I'm sure there was some direction. So from the NHL, you go to Saatchi and Saatchi, which is another giant advertising agency. Um, but you specifically worked on the Toyota uh, account. It looked like yes. at least from, from a little bit yes. of research that I did. And Toyota, obviously in, in hockey, in many yeah. of these major sports in the Olympics, they're huge. So originally I was like, Sachi and Sachi, that's weird. And then I looked, I was like, oh, she was on Toyota. So she's still working in sports in some capacity. Yeah. What yeah. was that transition like going from, again, so you went agency, then you went in-house, now we're back into the agency. Like, was there yeah. a reason you wanted to go to the agency? And, and what was it like when you did get there to still continue that work in sports? Yes. So while I absolutely loved working at the league office, right. And working inside the sports business, I think my heart was on the agency side. Um, I love, you mentioned it before, I love the flexibility. I love working on different clients. I like, you know, being a little bit more mobile. Um, you know, I like the client facing work. I like the service business, right? And, uh, you know, making my clients happy. And I think, you know, any agency job, and that's really what it is, um, you're, you're making your clients happy. And so I came back into the agency side with Saatchi through, uh, you know, um, a, a referral, um, and brought me back to the Philadelphia area, which is where I'm originally from. And we worked uh, on the, uh, the Toyota Tri-State TDA, which is, you know, I think it was at the time 25 or 26 dealerships around wow. the, uh, the, the Delaware Valley. Um, and so our client was uh, the Tri-State TDA, but really our client was all of the, the owners of the dealerships in the area. So it was an opportunity for me to sort of take my experience and apply it to a new thing. And I can tell you like, Man, I learned so much about cars. Uh, I'm a Toyota girl for life now. I mean, they brainwashed me, uh, but 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 I believe in it, right? So um, I learned a lot. We were wallpapering, as my supervisor would say, we were wallpapering the Philadelphia sports scene with the Toyota logo. 
um, inside the venues, outside the venues. We were in the music scene. We were bringing cars to concerts. We were, you know, this was the big sort of the Prius days, right? We were launching, you know, the Prius. We had that Prius in the venues. We had it at the concerts. Um, and, you know, behind the scenes, I got to learn a lot about what goes into price point advertising and um, dealer incentives and, you know, uh, but again, service business. Um, I think that's where my heart is. I love building businesses. I love serving clients. I love, you know, kind of helping people achieve their goals and dreams. Right. And I, and, and so, um, the transition for me was very natural. Of course, you know, I was loving Manhattan, but I was ready for a new challenge and it just happened to bring me back to Philly. Um, and, you know, each one of these steps was just, it was crucial for me. Each one of the steps that I took, I mean, sometimes strategic and sometimes sort of opportunistically um, have led me to where I am today. So that was another uh, sort of chapter there in, mm -hmm. my, in my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that's why I wanted to go over many of these jobs, because it's just so interesting, kind of, they're all obviously related, but there's so much that you can learn from doing each of these different things. As you said, with with the NHL, it's the business development, it's kind of pretty much learning how to run a business, um, the e commerce side, then you go to Sachi and Sachi, and you just explain, you know, now, dealer incentive, like, what's this? How yeah. cars, just learning about cars is probably yeah. a good thing. It doesn't hurt, right? Um, yeah. So you're able to kind of, uh, just kind of stack more and more information on top of each other. And that yeah. way, if you ever need to, you can kind of just go back in that, you know, memory bank of yours, hopefully, and just be able to pull something out that that happened there. And so you were at Saatchi and Saatchi for a couple of years down in the Philadelphia area. Another big part of the Philadelphia area is Comcast. Um, people mm -hmm. aren't familiar. I'm pretty sure their headquarters are right there. I yes. pass it all the time. They are. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you have like the Xfinity Live outside of, you know, all the Philadelphia stadiums, um, Comcast, owns NBC. So you have NBC sports there. That's kind of why I have rather than a, an arrow on my notes, I have more of a backslash uh, from Comcast yes. to NBC sports. Yeah. Um, so what was that transition? Like, again, really loving the agency world. I have to assume it was more, it felt more like an agency than in-house at that time. Is that kind of what helped you kind of make that transition over back to a single company? Yeah, so uh, this is sort of the beauty of the sports business where I actually was recruited back in to work with some of my former colleagues who had been at the NHL at the time that I was at the NHL. And so um, uh, Troy Iwanshina, one of another mentors of my career, uh, recruited me back over to uh, what was then Comcast Sportsnet Philadelphia. Um, and what they were doing was they were building a business. So, so I had another chance to get in on the ground floor of um, what would become Comcast NBC Sports. And uh, what they were doing at the time is they were taking the Comcast Sportsnet, the regional sports networks across the country, and they were rolling out a digital strategy for those uh, sports networks. Um, before we, we started working on that, the RSN's uh, websites consisted of programming schedules. So here's what's on Comcast Sportsnet today. That's it, period. Those were the websites. And oh, so, wow. yeah, so when I was brought in to talk to, to them about a role, 
um, you know, I met with, the, I think Brian Monahan was the head of Sportsnet at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Troy, but they said, look, we're building something here. We want to compete with ESPN at the local level. We want to go local to national. We don't, we, we're not going to be a national uh, news provider for sports, but we're going to be local. And we think that we can compete with them in those markets that we're in. And uh, and so this was obviously very interesting to me. And, you know, I have a love for building and um, so I, I came in and, and helped them launch uh, the flagship uh, through Philadelphia. Like you said, the, the headquarters of Comcast, only natural to start there. And we then rolled that strategy out across, at the time, 11, 11 regional sports nets around the country to give them a digital arm. And so they were taking talent from their local marketplaces and they were, you know, having them build out content on the, the websites and having them build video and you know, again, learning so much about not only you know building a digital content business, but also watching what was happening in journalism and watching the people that were being plucked from the traditional news industry, writers that had been with the Inquirer for years covering sports, like, you know, covering the Philadelphia Eagles, we were actually recruiting them over to become digital uh, talent for Comcast Sportsnet uh, and CSNPhilly.com and, you know, CSNChicago.com. And I learned about, you know, the business of selling advertising into those platforms and, and how that works and, you know, the life of a digital salesperson and, you know, uh, some of my favorite people, I, I write about sales sometimes with some of my favorite people were the salespeople, you know, these are the grinders, these are the people generating all this revenue from, to support the content creators. And so there's so much some interesting stuff that goes on there uh, within digital journalism and sports. But, um, you know, that was another natural transition. I was going to, you know, be working with people I already knew, uh, people who trusted me, which is another big thing when you're talking about building a reputation in the business of sports is, you know, do people trust you? Right. And, um, trust is, is big. It's huge. Um, so yeah, it, it was a great opportunity. I was there. That was actually the last position that I held within the business of sports formally on the media side before, um, you know, Comcast, uh, went into business and purchased NBC, um, uh, and, and then began to transition that business up to Stanford, Connecticut. So um, it was at that time that I, you know, I, I transitioned into my next, my next role, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you're, you know, you're going to ask me about. We'll get there. We'll get there. There's a couple yeah. colleges yeah. along the way we have to talk about too. Um, <laughs> okay. But I think, I mean, I think that's so cool. Again, just learning more about just the business of sports, especially, it sounds like, at least with the NHL and then with that Comcast, you were kind of at the ground floor for a lot of this stuff. So I'm, I'm a Mets fan. I hate Philadelphia. Okay. So you okay. bringing it up constantly really like, uh, it eats at me, but, um, no, I'm, kidding, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but so SMY, I mean, that is an NBC affiliate, right? Yes. So I know yes. I watch, I watch that all the time and you had a hand in whatever, however that works or however it came about. And I started, I mean, I, you know, right now the Mets aren't on, which is also eating at me, but yeah. I've watched, I watch SMY. It's probably, you know, it's, you know, the, the, when I turn the clicker on, when I turn the TV on SMY is naturally what pops up, especially during baseball season. So you had a hand in that. And I think that's really cool, especially with kind of understanding how that works. Because again, as these, as these stations, as you said, were popping up, you're trying to go local to national. So I don't really watch ESPN to learn about what's happening in New York sports. I go to SMY. I go to right. Yes. I hate the Yankees too, but I go to Yes. You know, I go to these local ones because 
I don't really care what the Auburn Tigers are doing all the time. Like occasionally, yeah, yeah, I want to learn a little bit on Saturday to watch football, but I would rather learn, you know, what are the Rangers doing? What are the Mets doing? How are the Yankees doing so much better than the Mets? You know, all these things I learned from the local level. And I think, again, you guys had that great idea. And as you said, you were poaching that talent, maybe not poaching. That's I'll use that word. No, Um, they were willing. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. There we go. There we go. Of course. Um, But, you know, taking the talent from inside the city and then just putting them up uh, again on that pedestal a little bit to give people that better opportunity. So seeing how all that came about must've just been so interesting. Very, very interesting, right? And and I'm always learning, right? I'm I'm just a forever student, and so in any role that I've been in, I'm sort of trying to soak it all up, and I'm I'm trying to pay attention, right? Um, but yes, that was a very, very crucial time, and in, in the changes that were happening in sports journalism, and now you know you see things now, you see you see Barstool Sports, you see The Athletic, you see people and businesses that the seeds were planted back then, right? And now, you know, fast forward 10 years, look at where they are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them haven't survived. Some of the blogs back then that were very popular were purchased by larger companies. Um, Some of them weren't, right? But a crucial sort of turning point then, like a pivot point for journalism, uh, it is, to be, yeah. you know, to be part of that was very interesting for me. It is very cool. I mean, and that's about, you know, 2010 was, I mean, newspapers already started making their decline back then. But like at that point, once the, you know, once Twitter became, you know, version 2.0, 3.0 uh, compared to what it was in the beginning and, and how, you know, people were always worried about clicks, but still then it, then it pretty much just turned to everything um, yeah. on the internet pretty much on its head. And that's when the internet was fast enough that we could actually watch this stuff, right? Like we could go Absolutely. watch a video on YouTube without lag or buffering for, for five minutes. We could get this information at our fingertips and smartphones, as we talked about before with, with the NHL, smartphones weren't around in 2005, really. 2010, who didn't have a smartphone at that point? Everybody. Right? It's crazy yeah. how in five years everything changes and now 10 years later, look at where we are with some of this stuff. So as you, at being on the ground floor, seeing that, like, what did you learn, I guess, how, how closely connected were you with the content creators themselves? How, how much did you either interact with them or how much did you at least watch from arm's <laughs> length to learn, like, okay, this is what they're doing and this is why they're doing it? Yeah, a little bit of a mixture. So when I was in with CSN Philly, I was right in there with the creators and, um, you know, watching them do their thing, you know, watching them sort of cover training camp and, you know, learning about not only the craft, but what I found really interesting was the speed of turnaround, you know, where if someone was at Eagles training camp at Lehigh University, they could be publishing content 24-7. Okay. Um, so yeah, so, so the speed of taking a, you know, a story and putting it up was like seconds, right? As opposed to, if you go way back, it was 24 hours and, you know, then maybe it was a journalist, you know, covering an event and then going home and then writing it up and then publishing it. Now it's like, we're tweeting it. It's instant. We're putting it up there. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're breaking news, right? You're breaking news at the, you know, training camp from the training camp. So the change in the speed of getting a piece of content to published. Um, and the other thing was that I wanted to mention is that one of the trends that was going on back then with the content creators was, you know, they were talent that had built a name for themselves that the expectations on them were just to produce and maybe perhaps show up on television. But if you were a young creator at the time, 
uh, trying to make a name for yourself, you were tasked with not only writing, but building web pages, um, producing video. So you had to be a little bit of a jack of all trades at that time um, to sort of fill out what was like a, a modern editorial staff. Um, it wasn't just six writers, right? It was six writers that also knew how to, you know, mm -hmm. do video and knew how to build web pages and stuff like this. So um, that was another big change that was going on back then that I got to witness firsthand. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, um, you know, kind of as you throughout your career have learned so much just in that one role, those, you know, the content creators, they had to know a lot too. They had to know how to do all these things. And it, it makes sense. Some people like to read articles. Some people like to be told in you know, a minute and a half, you know, what happened, why it happened. Some people like to listen to hour long podcasts with me and you. So, yeah. you know, it just makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I get why people do what they do and I can't blame them for any of it. Um, it is fantastic. But um, so with that, did you, was, was this, you know, you, you kind of explained how, you know, why you did start doing your own thing kind of uh, with technically sports and as a content strategist, but did you at some point your time there be like, maybe I should start producing a little bit of my own content. Maybe I should start doing some stuff before you really kind of jumped into it, you know, full-time for yourself and full-time for others. Yeah. Well, I was always a writer in my own mind, right? Uh, in my own heart. I never contributed at Comcast Sports. Now, I actually recall asking if I could contribute, but I think there was some territoriality there, right? And, you know, I wasn't groomed as an editorial person. I was a business person. So I did my thing. Um, I remember watching the podcasters and thinking like, man, I want to get in on that, right? But I was on the business side, so I was a bit more formal. But um, my vision for myself always had content creation in it. I just didn't know exactly how that was gonna play out, right? And I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, now it's one of the main things that I do, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was always there. Uh, it just took a long time for me to actually begin. I call myself a late bloomer um, as a creator. Uh, you know, I just had to kind of shake off some of that formal training that I received and really find my true space in this industry. So I think, you know, again, people say, you know, I, I ask students what they want to do. And, you know, aside from the people that tell me they want to be the GM of the sports team, um, of course, when I then I ask them, well, do you happen to have a couple million bucks? Or are you married to a millionaire, a billionaire? Um, no, but, uh, you know, um, you're not going to figure out exactly what it is that you want to do until you do stuff, mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of other stuff, right? And um, whatever it is inside you that is your passion, it's finding a way to do that with the experience that you have, right? And so my niche is based on my experience. Um, and uh, I would never be able to do what I do now had I not had all of those experiences exactly again it all it all builds on each other which i think is the most important part uh, as you said selling bloody you know hawker hockey jerseys uh, <laughs> you'll learn yeah. you'll you quickly learn yeah. hockey fans are the craziest and we love all of them yeah. uh, you know yeah. it's, it's, it's funny kind of how that stuff happens so you you brought it up again um and i obviously said in the beginning but you keep bringing up your students so i do want to talk about that uh you started with drexel university down in philadelphia um you somehow taught at Ohio University. I'm going to go with that was an online course, just out of just <laughs> yes. sheer luck. Um, and now teaching yeah. at St. Joe's. Uh, where along the way were you like, all right, you know, I have this job doing pretty well, have a lot of work. Let me add another job on top of it. 
Yeah, you know, it. <laughs> it's funny. You're making me laugh. Um, so, uh, you know, I knew, right. I knew I wanted to sort of at some point do my own thing, right. How would that look? I didn't know, but, um, I actually made a decision in, uh, I think 2011 to continue my education. So I had the opportunity to come in again, another ground floor story here for you. Um, Ohio university launched their professional masters, um, in sports administration program in around uh, 2011. And I, you know, pursued that, got more information and made it into the, the class, the first class of that program uh, cohort. So yeah, first cohort, Ohio University PMSA, traveled through that program with 25 other students from around the country, really met some great people. Um, I would say 50% or more of the value of a program like that is the network. And so Ohio University has a massive, massive network of sports business folks. And I see it all the time. Um, I, see, I see these people all the time uh, in my work um, in high positions across the industry. And so I entered that program with the goal of being able to teach and write about the business of sports. And as I went through the program, it was just that time that Comcast was purchasing NBC. And so Again, what was an unfortunate situation for many people was an opportunity for me to do something new. I would probably never have walked away from Comcast NBC um, without, you know, having had the choice to, right? And so we had the choice to move and relocate or, you know, not. And I chose to not. And so um, I started sort of planting the seeds for what would be my next move. And um, I had finished up the degree with OU. Uh, one of the professors there had connected me with Drexel University. They gave me the opportunity to teach an original course, which I called Digital Media and Sports. And so I taught that for Drexel. And then I was able to take that and sort of, uh, you know, show that to St. Joe's. And um, St. Joe's at the time was launching a sports marketing major. So this was another brand new thing. St. Joe's is known for its business school. Um, its marketing department has these niche programs, um, entertainment marketing. They have food marketing. I think they've been sort of known for food marketing, they have pharmaceutical marketing. And so they were going to launch sports marketing. And I happened to reach out to the director of that program. His name was John Lord. And John um, you know, brought me in as an adjunct and let me teach my digital media and sports course for them. Um, and, uh, you know, as I was formally then parting ways with Comcast NBC, I, you know, another sort of thing I'd been working on was to write. And uh, one of my other sort of great friends and mentors in the sports business, Caroline Savini, who is an executive recruiter um, and just really a respected leader in the business, um, introduced me to Abe Madcor, who is the executive editor for Sports Business Journal. And so Abe uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, test out my writing skills and... Uh, I guess, approved of my writing skills. And so I started contributing to Sports Business Daily as the app review writer. And every single week, I would review a mobile app for one of the businesses in the, in, you know, in the sports industry. Um, and so between teaching and freelance writing for SBJ, 
St. Joe's eventually said, we have a full-time position in the marketing department. Do you, wa- do you want to interview for it? And um, they had a role and I was lucky enough to be the one chosen for that role. And so for three years, uh, I taught at St. Joe's University full-time as an instructor in the marketing department. Um, I taught all different stuff. The, you know, the academic world is, is way, way, way different than the, uh, the business world, uh, the sports industry. And I learned that very, very quickly. I think week one or two of my full-time gig, I went in on a Monday morning and nobody was there. Nobody. <laughs> like, like the department was dark. I think I turned the lights on and I'm thinking, man, what happened? Like, where is everybody? And, you know, finally figured out like, you know, (laughs) professors only show up when they have to show up. Right. And so I'm the low man on the totem pole. I'm teaching Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9am. Some of the, uh, you know, senior faculty members were teaching Tuesday, Thursday at Mm (laughs) 1pm. And so they're not coming in. And so this was a totally different world for me. Um, again, a huge learning experience. Um, being on, you know, the, the teacher's side of the podium and being able to sort of shape some young minds and um, really uh, looking for, I'm always looking for those leaders. And I, I see them, you know, almost within the first week of class, uh, you know, shining through. But I, I absolutely love teaching. And, you know, a huge part of teaching is learning. A lot of the stuff I taught, I learned uh, on the fly sometimes. You know, some of the stuff I'd bring in from industry, but some of the more formal stuff, I was actually, you know, teaching to myself sometimes a week ahead of the lectures. So, um, you know, uh, St. Joe's is a wonderful place. Uh, It is, you know, they have a great program. They have a great staff and great students. Um, And, uh, you know, three years uh, until I was ready to say, okay, what's, what am I going to do next? How am I going to get to where I want to go? Right. Mm-hmm. And and I love, again, just kind of the, uh, just the theme throughout is getting on the ground floor and building something. Um, you were yeah. on the ground floor at Ohio and you had that opportunity to build your network through there and all those incredible people. And that's, uh, you know, you were on the, the ground floor at Sports Business Journal or Sports Business Daily from the aspect of app reviews, right? Like this isn't, this isn't today where everybody's an app reviewer on the internet. Like there, you had a legitimate uh, position where you were able to take advantage of, as you said, just reaching out to more people and just building that network. So now you have this network through the NHL, through Saatchi and Saatchi, through Comcast and NBC Sports, through Drexel, through Ohio University, through Sports Business Daily, and obviously St. Joe's as well. And I mean, again, just then getting in on St. Joe's on the ground floor where they're just starting the sports yeah. marketing department and you can be a part of that and growing. I just think it's, you know, the themes are very clear throughout um, of learning, of building, of, of being, getting in as quickly as possible um, and then doing yeah. something with it and really having that effect. And, and so now, as you said, you were there for three years and we thank you for what you do uh, and how you did it. I do love the story of how you show up at nine o'clock in the morning and you realize that oh, you're actually, oh. you got duped. The joke's on yeah, you. Uh-huh. Dark. Nobody's here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. But a- after three years, as you said, um, you are now, now you're doing your own thing. So now this is the technically sports era of, of Amy Sheridan and the content strategist era of Amy Sheridan. So through this giant network, how easy was it just to start reaching out to people and just saying like, Hey, I do this thing now. If you guys are ever interested, I need some help. 
Yeah, well, I mean, surprisingly, um, you know, really getting some, something off the ground is not easy, right? Um, convincing people to hire you when you're independent is really not easy. Um, and so how did it all begin? I mean, like I said, I freelanced for SBJ for a long time. I think that the difference was that, you know, I'm trying to part ways with, from, you know, being a freelancer to being a, a business owner. So from going from a freelancer to a business, and that's a big transition. I think I was a freelancer for a pretty long time, even with my first clients in, you know, sort of what I'm doing now. So as I transitioned from being a freelance writer for a publication, um, for a company, so one of the first gigs that I got, actually while I was teaching was, I freelanced for Comcast Business here in Philly, and I did some sports content for them around NASCAR that they would use on some of their, you know, blog platforms. And I was a freelancer, so they were paying me sort of per word or per hour or whatever it was. And um, but I, you know, my my gears are always turning and thinking like, well, I really can't make, uh, you know, what I want to make as a freelancer, mm -hmm. right? Or I'd be having to work twenty four hours a day. And no one's going to pay, you know, you can't raise your prices over a certain threshold as a freelance writer. So how do I become a business? And so I was able to start structuring my offering in such a way that, you know, you know, you can leverage my network and my content creation skills, and I can help you sort of, you know, up your content game is what I say, um, be seen and heard by your peers and prospects. So I, I take all of my business experience and I basically serve it up for my clients um, to say, you can do exactly what I've done, right? I, I think part of, like, to answer your first question, part of breaking into this and actually being successful is walking the walk. They need to see that I'm legit, um, that I'm doing, you know, the stuff that they want to do for it to be real right, for them, for it to be attainable for them. And so that takes a little while, right? And so I think now, you know, where I'm at today, there's certainly traction um, with, you know, the idea of being able to say, you know, with, you know, some backing to support me that, you know, you can go out there and be seen and heard by your peers and your prospects and you can grow your business and you can build a following if you do these few things and let me help you do those things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, again, it's a culmination of all of the skills that I've developed over time, um, the networking skills. And, you know, you keep talking about the getting it on the ground floor, you know, in any business, but, you know, where we're at in the sports business if you see a wave forming, you better go get on that wave, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and that's my mindset, right? And, and to sort of tie it all back uh, to the sort of the name of your podcast, I look at the sports business as, uh, you know, the playing field. You know, what's your strategy you know, what passes are you going to make in order for, you know, to get your team to win, right? And, and so a lot of this business, it's about winning, right? It's winning on the field. It's winning off the field. The people in this business are competitive. Many of them are athletes. And so, you know, how do you win for yourself and your business? Well, you have to have a strategy. 
and you got to walk the walk, right? You got to get out of your comfort zone. You have to make the phone calls, you know, uh, that you may not be super comfortable doing at first. You have to put yourself out there, be on podcasts. It's amazing. So some of the people that I've had the pleasure of working with these are these really like well decorated you know well respected people in the sports industry and going from being a consumer of content to a creator of content is a very scary thing right it's, it's hard to to put yourself out there right like some people mm-hmm. are terrified even the people as you yeah. said that are decorated and everyone wants to yeah. hear from them they're still kind of terrified to get out there and just spread the it's information scary. they know like the back of their hand It is scary. And I will say there's a reason it's scary, right? Because I don't think people are naturally meant to be in a position to be looked at um, by hundreds and thousands of other people. But some of these leaders in the industry are sitting on a gold mine, are sitting on an audience or a lightning bolt or whatever you want to call it. And it, you can see it when, you know, uh, somebody posts something on LinkedIn or Twitter um, and automatically are gaining all of these responses uh, just because they're so well respected. And so, you know, it kind of, it brings us full circle, but it brings us to where we are today, right? In this really unique environment, you know, where we're all sort of home and we're, you know, doing our thing and we're not going out, we're not meeting people for coffee, uh, you know, we're doing no happy hours. Um, but, you know, as you and I discussed, the content creator business is still open. Um, And so uh, right now is just, it's a great time to, you know, make your voice heard and to emerge as a thought leader in the business. And so it's what I've been preaching lately, you know, uh, you know, nobody wants to be insensitive and nobody wants to come off as, you know, Hey, we're crushing it in this crazy, sad, terrifying time. But you know, if you're sitting there and you're on your computer and, you know, you have this audience that's following just for waiting for you to lead them, you know, why not pick up the phone and, you know, be on a podcast or, you know, submit your work to a publication or, you know, express your thoughts on LinkedIn. Um, people appreciate that. And they really, you know, if, when you're well-respected and people in the industry sort of value your opinion, then, you know, for me, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. And I think again, just like with, with the time we're in now, obviously it's very unique, really never happened in human history where everything on planet Earth shuts down, especially the way it does and the, especially the way it has. Um, so, you know, hopefully everything does become fine and we'll, we'll get through it. And I definitely, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but I definitely also want to talk about, I guess, like, you personally, as you said, it took a little while. Like you had to be seen by your peers and prospects, right? Yeah, so that way yeah. you could tell other people, yeah. look, this is what I can do. And this is how I can help you. And it's like, you right. kind of created the case study around yourself, especially yeah. in the beginning, which I think is, um, you know, super necessary and, and just really explains and shows people more than anything, how this is possible, why it's possible and what you do. And as you said, walk the walk before. So how did you start to do that? I guess. How did you, especially out of the gate, and now obviously, hey, you're here hanging out with me, so that's just another extra avenue. But how did you, especially out of the gate, not only just walk the walk, but then explain to people how you were able to walk the walk and how you can help them explain? Yeah. You, know, you can help them to walk the walk too. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we're, we're in the depths of marketing right now, um, which I love because, you know, I'm a, a numbers person and marketing is a numbers thing. It's a creative meets numbers thing. Um, so how did I get started? Well, I started by getting a couple clients under my belt and producing content for them um, and sharing that content. Right. But I knew, you know, in order to, like you said, to walk the walk, I had to do my own thing. I had to produce my own content. And where did that begin? And so um, I believe investing in investing, oops, I believe in investing in yourself. And so uh, what I did was I, I, I uh, you know, started working with a mentor. And um, this mentor is, you know, an expert in all things, uh, building your own personal brand and creating an authority um, in your niche. And uh, I worked with her, her name is Pia Silva, and she's fabulous. And she said to me, well, it's time for you to start producing your stuff. You know what to do. You know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just, you know, the, the, the scariest part of putting yourself out there is pushing that publish button, clicking that publish button, right? Um, and uh, I started writing articles and I started clicking publish. And a lot of those articles early on were about my journey, the things that I was working on, right? Um, if I was building out my email program, I was writing about my email program. If I was, you know, you know, writing about how to create content that sells, you know, I was doing a little bit for myself and a little bit for the people that might be watching or reading. Mm -hmm. And, um, and now, you know, the more you create, the clearer the vision becomes, I'm sure you understand that. Mm -hmm. So you have to become super clear on who is your target audience? What does that person look like? you know, exactly who they are. So the more that you can describe that person, the easier the creation becomes. And so the, the longer I created content, I'm watching the numbers, I'm watching who's responding, who's liking it, who's not liking it. I become super clear on who my clients are and uh, how I'm going to help them. And, and so week over week over week, uh, you know, the creation of the blog posts has become more natural. It's, it, it just flows now because I'm, I'm super clear on who I'm doing it for, right? So it's a little bit of service. It's a little bit of strategy. It's creative. You know, it's, it's a, a bunch of different things that goes into it for me. Um, but, you know, I'm a marketer. And the reason I do all of these things is, is for marketing. I mean, clients will come in through a blog post, and say, you know, I read this blog post and it really resonated with me and I'd like to talk with you. And it's case in point, right? Uh, so if they see that, they think, well, I can do this too. Yeah, you absolutely can. And let me give you the tools that you need to do so. So that's, that's what it's about for me. And, uh, you know, I feel very strongly and very passionate about it. And I think that's a big part of, you know, succeeding in, what you're doing is really believing in what you're doing. And I could talk about it all day. <laughs> well, Hey, I have uh, my next interview is not for a couple hours. So, you know, you're, you're this okay. is your platform, Amy, you could do whatever yeah, you like yeah, here. Yeah, um, yeah. But so I guess like what, as, as you were saying, like you have to believe in it. And as a marketer, yeah. 
you come from the creative side a little bit, but you also come from the numbers side. So it's one thing that you can see, okay, I believe in it because look, I've gotten X sales through Y blog posts. I've gotten this many views, these, this many people follow, you know, you can look at all those numbers, but how do you, how do you put those numbers down on a piece of paper that you as the marketer, it's great, but now you're going to that Toyota owner or the Toyota dealership owner and saying, okay, this is why we need to do this more, or this is why you should start doing this at all. How do you then bring that to your clients or your prospects and say, well, here are the numbers, but put it in a way that they understand it. And again, making it almost more like it's their idea because that's something they're going to be more emotionally invested in. Yeah. So how do you measure it? Is that what you're asking? Um, I guess like the measuring, but the measuring and then showing those measurements to your clients and prospects. So that way they're like, okay, I understand. This is why I need to do this more. Yeah. I think what it comes down to, uh, you know, in this business is we can get super granular and we can talk about how many followers did you gain from this blog post or this podcast or this, that, and the other, all that stuff is important. But what's most important to me is that people are picking up the phone and calling you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I measure success in how many calls did you schedule this week? Because I'm trying to help you build your business. Sure. You're going to create a following for yourself. If you continue to, you know, produce content and do all the things that I'm telling you to do. But if the phone's not ringing, then this is not successful. Right. And so my metrics or the goals that I want to set with a client and what I want them to understand is we're doing this so that your phone rings, you're getting emails from your target customer, you're showing your leadership, people are, you know, sort of latching on to that. And the people that are your clients are going to come out of, you know, the woodwork, they're going to come out and they're going to want to talk to you. So the more that you're talking and then you're communicating and you're putting yourself out there as a thought leader, being authentic, super important, being authentic about who you are and your message and your business and your goals. Um, the more you do that, the more the phone rings and um, the more it all becomes that much easier to sell. Mm-hmm. So this <laughs> It's about selling. It's about marketing. It's about growing a business. Um, the old fashioned way with modern tools. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No. And I, I, I love it. And again, it, it makes sense. And it's so, it's so interesting just to kind of hear how you came about this and, and what you're doing with it now and some of the people that you're working with. I just think it's, it's so interesting. So one thing, obviously, um, I want to talk about are some okay. industry trends that maybe you've been noticing on ways to create content or, or maybe ways to just put yourself out there a little bit more, such as, I don't know, maybe a podcast or something. What yeah. have you seen in terms of industry trends? Um, again, right now, it's a little weird. It's good to get on them, but yeah. I've seen a lot of things where downloads are down significantly because people yeah. aren't commuting to work. They're not going outside and going for that walk or going to the park. But that doesn't, you know, most of this content's evergreen. You know, your yes. episode might come out in a couple of weeks from as of recording. People can go back and listen to it for years and they're still going to yes. learn something from it. So what are some of the trends you're looking at right now in the industry? Just we'll call it in a normal world. In a normal world, I see podcasts as becoming a really hot thing in the business of sports. There is a, I mean, there are 
there are podcasts like yours um, in the business of sports that are covering the business of sports that are featuring the people that power the business of sports. And a trend that I'm seeing now is more of those are popping up, um, more opportunities for people to talk to each other in this format, which I absolutely love because it's such a natural format. Um, but it also allows for <laughs> the couple of different senses to get touched upon, right? So when you're writing, someone's reading, um, one sense, right, is being used there. But with a podcast, there's a visual, there's an audio, there's a reading component. So there's all these different senses that are being kind of touched upon, whereby, you know, if you're trying to become a thought leader or just put yourself out there and grow your business, the more people see or hear from you, the more they know you, the more they trust you, right? So this is why I love podcasts and why I think it's such a big thing right now. Um, the other reason I love it is that anybody can do it um, because we have so many tools at our disposal that we didn't have before. Uh, you, know, and, you know, anybody can do it. And so one of the other trends I see in podcasts specifically is that uh, you know, podcast hosts, this isn't, this isn't their thing. This isn't their number one revenue stream. This is secondary. Podcasts are a marketing channel for people that do other stuff. And so, you know, if you're selling hats or you're, you know, you're in marketing for a media company or you have your own business, you can have a podcast that, you know, tangentially is related to what you do, but really it's a marketing strategy and, uh, you know, it builds authority. So of course I love it. Um, and you know, what else am I seeing? I mean, I'm seeing just this, I was talking to somebody about this recently, you know, with content creation, um, this team approach, right? So this, uh, you know, maybe moving away from, uh, creating and individual pieces of content um, and trying to be like perfect and, you know, sort of uh, organized and structured. It's more of a team approach. It's trying to create pieces for different formats and sort of putting them all out there across platforms. And um, if you see some of the leaders in the industry, everybody talks about Gary V. Um, you know, you're seeing content come off of those channels 24-7 from all these different creators, right? It's this team approach. It's Barstool Sports. It's this team approach of, you know, having all these uh, members of the team contributing to the overall strategy. And I think for brands out there who are building and growing, it's how can, how can, how can you um, copy, but how can you build your own team approach to content creation from within, or perhaps with bringing in a team from the outside in some way using freelance talent, uh, you know, but you want to be seen and heard as much as possible in all the formats. Right. And I think that's um, a big trend. Absolutely. I don't make any money from doing this, but I love it. <laughs> and I'm not going to stop uh, as far as it goes for as easy as it is. My microphone's $80. Everything else I use is free. So literally anyone out there listening, it costs $80 to start a podcast. And I have a okay microphone. You could spend a couple more bucks. You could spend a couple less. You could get away with a $40 mic. That's what I did for the first couple of years. I decided I got some money for Christmas on Amazon. And I really was going to splurge on that $80 mic. So it's really, again, the, the opportunity, it's so cheap uh, with some of the tools. 
with um, the marketing aspect of it, it's awesome to get my name out there. But what's more fun for me is to get your name out there, spend some time with you, learn who you are as a person and what you've done. And then now we have a relationship. Yeah. Now I can go back to anybody that I've had a, po- a podcast with and they not feel indebted because that's definitely not the right word, but they, they feel appreciated that I spent some time with them, asked them some legitimate questions and then shared their story. Whether their episode got 100 downloads or it only got 25 or you know whatever it is, they're still appreciative that I was able to at least help share their story to a couple new people, which is also really fun. So the networking aspect of it for me is where it's more enjoyable. One day I'd like to get paid for this, which hopefully is yeah. sooner rather than later, but we'll yeah. see. But I totally agree. And then taking clips, you know, I do these long form. I know people that only like to do 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, we're running a little over an hour, but we've had some technical difficulties along the way as well. So um, yeah. it's just, you know, you can, I'm going to then send you this and you're going to take out all the clips that you like of what you said. And now you're able to share that over time. You can share that across Twitter. You can share that within blog posts. You can take the transcript of this and turn it into a blog post. You can take the video. Yeah. Again, we probably won't technical difficulties, but um, you know, you can then take that video. You can chop that up and spread it across. So there's so many opportunities from this one hour long piece of content that you could turn it into, as you said, 24 hours, seven days a week of different things that come out and pop up. And then that again, just makes you look even bigger, right? Perceptions, reality, yeah. especially in marketing. It makes you look even huge, huger, which is totally a word and, and really put that out there and make people understand, you know, what your capabilities are and how you do it. So I think that that's very, very important. And that's why I love it too. Um, you know, it's just so much fun for me to do this stuff. The Gary V model, taking one piece of content, turning into 85 things. Um, yeah. If I had a team behind me, I'd do it a little more often than I do now, but hey, totally understand. I totally get what it. it is. Uh, a couple yeah. more questions. I do apologize for again, for this running over a little bit longer. Um, being a woman in business is one thing. Being a woman in sports business, kudos to you, Amy. Oh, Shout out you. to you for doing what you do and working with a lot of, as you said, higher ups, right? Normally to me, the, the higher up in sports business wrongly uh, is my assumption is normally some dude that's been doing this for a hundred years at this point. And now you're trying to connect with him and explain to him why you Again, being a woman in business, woman in sports business, should be able to help him and, and can help him amplify that. So how do you kind of combat that dumb, antiquated way of thinking, uh, which I don't do on purpose, I'm sorry, just kind of like built into me. Um, but how do you kind of combat that and really get people to understand that you're way more capable than they are and this is why they need your help? You know, I mean, again, I go back first and foremost to my experience working for the leaders Mm -hmm. in the business, right? And I think one of the themes there is managing up, um, is sort of making a winner out of the person that you report up into, right? So if you're making your boss or your supervisor look great, you're doing your job Mm -hmm. and uh, they're going to trust you forever. It's the same thing here. Um, you know, how do you lead a leader? Uh, you know, you have to, first and foremost, they have to trust you and they have to see that you're doing the things that they believe that they can do that, or that you can do for them. So uh, a trust building process is part of uh, my communication strategy. And I think uh, I write for those people. They're my audience. I am you know, trying to lead them uh, through words until they're ready to pick up the phone and call me. Um, and as far as, you know, the, the sort of 
the vision of the upper level suites and sports being mostly male, that's changing. Uh, but yes, uh, however, I look at, uh, you know, a leader is male, a leader is female. Both of them are equal to me. That's how I see it. That's how I would like it to be. Um, you may not be surprised that a lot of my clients, uh, these are female leaders that are sort of gravitating toward me uh, because I am female, uh, but I serve, you know, any gender. Uh, and um, a leader is a leader, right? And so part of part of, you know, my selection process, if you will, right? And, and I'm not saying like, I'm saying no to people, I'm turning people away, but, you know, I want to make sure that it's a fit. I want to make sure that I can make a thought leader out of somebody and it has, there has to be an authenticity there, right? There has to be the, the true qualities of a leader there. And, and when I see them and I hear them and a potential client, I, I get so genuinely excited that, that, you know, this is a no-brainer. We're going to make a thought leader out of you and, and, and you're going to be respected. Uh, you already are, but you're going to be so, you know, so well-received and respected by your peers and prospects that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're male or you're female. Uh, you know, it matters that I believe that you can walk the walk, right? And uh, mm -hmm. that's not everybody. It's just not everybody. Um, uh, you know, you work in sports, you work in any business, you have leaders that maybe you don't respect sometimes, uh, you know, they're not going to be my clients. I'm sorry, you know. Uh, and uh, so, um, again, trust, uh, mm -hmm. trust, accountability, authenticity, all of these things go, you know, come into play when we're talking about how do I sell through to a potential client. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I love that. And you pretty much just explained why it doesn't matter and I appreciate that because it literally doesn't matter at all um, as you said you the the clientele that gravitates towards you are those female leaders but as you said you you work with anybody you know uh, yeah. as someone as long as someone is a leader and you can see that in them and that they have that story to tell and something to do and, and something to share to others that they can learn from I mean shoot they should be working with you at this point uh, because again you've been doing this for so long I think it's fantastic and then thank you. this th no thank you Keep doing oh, thank you. You. <laughs> you. Um, so this is kind of like a three-parter um, just to kind of, cause I, all th I feel like the, there's a Venn diagram and there's a, there's a point in the middle. So I have data driven storytelling, serving others through content and personal branding. And I feel <laughs> like that could be, if I was better at doing this, I'd be able to turn that into one question, but I can't because I'm not. So I'm just going to say those three points and understand again from your aspect these are all three very important points to you so the the serving others through content that is storytelling driven by data and that stories are about them there we go i got it that's a sentence okay, okay. How, with with all three of those points how do you view each of them or how do you view i guess that intersection between all of them which is where i'm assuming that real real sweet spot is okay so Bear with me while I sort my thoughts no. out here. Good, so, because it was a ridiculous, ridiculous question on my part. And I appreciate okay. you for even entertaining trying to answer it. I'm going to decode this, okay? Um, the data-driven storytelling. Okay, so there's a literal and there's a you know non-literal like sort of answer to that question. But with regard to what I do, you know, I look at data as experience, right? So data is experience. Um, little pieces of experience can build out 
you know, this wealth of data, right? So for an individual leader in the business of sports who has all these experiences that they, you know, are sitting upon, uh, you know, we want to gather all those experiences up and we want to spit it out into something that tells a story. Um, and so I call it, you know, painting a picture with words, you know, where do you come from? What did you achieve? Uh, you know, why are you a leader, right? Mm -hmm. And let's take it all and let's condense it down and let's paint a little picture, right? And so uh, data-driven story storytelling, I could, you know, call it experience-driven driven storytelling. Data mm -hmm. is experience, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, you build this picture of yourself and uh, you use then your experiences uh, and your voice to serve others, right, through your personal brand, right? So how do you take all that experience and get onto a podcast like this and share it with the world so that, you know, other people can learn from it? That's the name of the game, right? So you're doing them a service by leading them uh, through example, through content creation, um, just by letting your voice be heard, just by talking. Okay, so I've been using the word talking a lot. You know, you know, right now, you know, it's a great time to talk because it's one of the only things we can do. Uh, but it's one of the best things you can do to build your personal brand. And so, you know, pull out all those data points from your years in the business, paint a picture for your audience, uh, you know, as to why you are authentic and you're credible and you know, they should believe in you and lead them, right? And I think hopefully that's the convergence of, you know, those three things that you mentioned. And hopefully that answers your question. I think it does. I think you did an incredible job, as you said, at de you. deconstructing that and figuring out exactly what I was trying to say. Um, because I knew there was something there and you, you did an awesome <laughs> job. Because again, you know, understanding that the data, the experience aspect of it, if you look at data, it's just kind of what happened. So that is the experience, right? And then taking yeah. that into a storytelling format, that's how people learn. But this is why I do this and have, the, have this show because I like to learn, but also because growing up in an Italian family, everything's based yeah. around stories. It's always, yes. all right, grandpa, would you do this one time in March of 1976? Like, let me tell you. And it's like, all right, grandpa, you told the story different last time, but whatever, we'll learn more. Um, you know, so having that aspect of it and, and that's the personal brand, right? Is your story. So you're, you're shaping this content in a way that you can share with others in the storytelling format that helps them in some capacity. And that's exactly yes. what I'm trying to do with this show. So yes. it sounds like we're a match made in heaven, Amy. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Sounds like we're a match made in heaven. Um, with yeah. this time, as you said, like you've brought it up a couple of times and, and um, I, d I definitely want to learn a little bit more, you know, only a couple minutes on it. Cause again, you probably have like a life or you want to eat lunch or something at this point. But during, <laughs> during this time with, you know, sports being essentially shut off and a lot of these companies not, you know, some people, you know, I have friends that were furloughed, which is a, a word I just learned. I had no idea yeah. what that was recently yeah. learned what that word was, um, which is super unfortunate. And it, it really sucks yeah. for a lot of people in the industry. What have you been advising your clients to do? And what would you advise anyone out here listening to do to really make sure that they're taking advantage of this time? Um, me personally, I'm doing a thousand interviews. That's how I'm going to try and take advantage of it. Not going to make too much money, but you never know what could come from it. So what are you advising your clientele and just really anyone out there just trying to up their game a little bit to do during this like really weird, like potential two month stretch where we don't have sports. We're not allowed outside our house. 
um, really can't do too much um, yeah. during it. I know it's, it's, it's so crazy to even, you know, still be saying this, like we're all mm -hmm. inside for the foreseeable future. And it's, I don't know, but um, yeah. what would I say? What would I say? Here's what I would say. Uh, set some goals for yourself, right? Um, you know, if you're going to sit back and kick back and wait, that's not the strategy that I'm going to tell you know, preach here. I'm going to say, take inventory of, you know, your experiences, uh, take inventory of your business. I've been saying, put your business in a blender and pour out, you know, some new stuff. Okay. Create something new with your business and your experiences. Um, but set some goals for yourself. I love that you said you're doing a thousand interviews. Wow. I hope that you achieve that goal. Um, I mentioned, Honestly, I, I'm kind of on the way. That's the craziest part. So I know we, might, we might hit a thousand. We might I hit a thousand. I am watching you. <laughs> I'm watching you. Um, but uh, set some goals. Try to achieve them. You know, make the best of your time at home. You know, a lot of people are getting some sad news. And, and, I, and it's tough. It's really tough. It's stressful. It's stressful for the people that are giving the news. It's stressful for the people that are receiving the news. It's all across the globe. We're all in this together. You know, give yourself a couple days to be sad, but, you know, get up and keep moving and set some goals for yourself related to your work, related to your personal life. I, I keep saying now is a perfect time to work on your personal brand because, Look at, look at where we are. Your personal brand is all you have when things get shaken up around you. This is the ultimate example of the ground is shaking here. Where are we going to land in six months? Well, if you have a personal brand, you're much stronger because, uh, you know, you've got legs to stand on, right? You might have an audience, you might have a following. And so you have an opportunity to continue to lead that following through tough times that we're in right now. So, so set some goals, um, examine your business, put your business in a blender, uh, you know, start to build a picture of yourself as a leader and start to get out there and actually talk mm -hmm. um, to other industry leaders, to your peers, your prospects, to your customers, um, try to understand where you're going to go next here because nothing is ever going to really be exactly the same as it was before we started on this journey um, that we're in right now with coronavirus, things are going to change a little bit across the sports industry. Maybe they're going to change a lot. There's a lot of innovation going on right now that, you know, brands are coming out. A lot of people are doing the virtual happy hours. They're doing the Zooms. I'm seeing a lot of that going on right now. They're connecting. Um, but I think out of the connection, you have to be thinking in the back of your mind, you know, what is my goal? Where do I want to be in six months? Where do I want to be in a year? Um, with or without the coronavirus, what's happening now allows us to sit back and really think and contemplate. And it's a rare opportunity in life, you know, that you don't have to go away on vacation to take some time to think. So I think, uh, you know, goals, talk, think, strategize, and put yourself out there. I love it. That's exactly what you have to do. Um... So let's, let's keep doing it, everybody. Let's just keep yeah. doing it. Anyone out there that wants to come on the show, you're more than welcome. That too. Anyone else? I shoot anybody. Reach I love Amy. She's, she's been incredible. But anyone listening, yeah. I mean, they're all more than welcome. Reach out to those podcast hosts. This is one of my big tentpole pieces of content, right? I have a list of podcasts across the sports business with the Twitter handles of the podcast hosts. 
I did that for a reason. I did that because I want people to be able to pitch a podcast host by themselves, right? You don't have to hire me to do that. You can do that yourself. Um, you know, in this, this age of marketing, you can do most things yourself. So take advantage of those tools and Twitter and all of the resources out there that give you free information and, you know, get yourself on a podcast, you know, get, get yourself in, you know, a published, publish an article, submit an op-ed, um, you know. Do something you've never done before. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What's the worst that can happen? You're in the exact same spot you're at right now. Um, Amy, yeah. this was wonderful. I know we went a little longer than expected, but you had so much good information and my technology wasn't as good as I was hoping it was. But we're here. We did great. Amy Sheridan, content strategist, all around incredible person. I will have all of Amy's information, any of her recent articles, her website, her Twitter handle, all of that's in the show notes. So make sure to give her a follow. But Amy, Really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure. I hope to, I hope to talk again. Hopefully sooner rather than later, and maybe even in person one of these days. That'd be pretty cool too. That sounds great. Yep. Thank you all so much for checking out this episode of For the Love of Sports with Amy Sheridan. As I said, she was super cool. A lot of fun to get to talk to. All that information that we spoke about, her socials, everything will be in the show notes. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much. If you could give us a review uh, wherever you're listening to this, Podcast Addict, I think it's one I've seen, Overcast, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, wherever. And yeah, thanks for hanging out. Time's the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.